Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. Mean? That is me having gone from London to Manchester and at the point that you and I last spoke when we did our brew at 2.30 and yes. I told you I needed the loo, I then had to get on another train and get myself home and I nearly text you to tell you I'd been to the toilet because I mentioned it so <laughs> many did. times. I it a number of times on the to the whole nation that was listening to us and I thought was maybe more information than you need to know but I had the best we in the world we. do you sometimes think on Instagram that you're just talking to me and forget that there's other people there listening yeah it's a kind <laughs> of filter it's a filter default isn't it because we um, have taken each other to the loo haven't we on well the, you've on taken the phone, me to the loo on the phone I don't think yeah. I've taken you to the loo oh, okay it's a bit like isn't it that conversation that you have in the loo yeah when you show your girlfriend yeah when when you're on the loo I mean my mum's a real one for answering the phone when she's on the loo and I don't know why she doesn't feel that she can let the phone ring out and call me back (laughs) (laughs) she's like well I just wanted to talk to you yeah but you don't need to talk to me this second it's only when you you're on the phone to something you know maybe an insurance company and you accidentally flush the toilet forgetting that actually you shouldn't I never speak to people that like oh I have Have I have I have, and then accidentally flushed the room. Have you? I have. Gosh. I've been mortified and embarrassed. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we like to share a little bit more of us. And there you go. Now you know about our toilet you know, I had, habits. I had somebody say to me yesterday that they love listening to the podcast and they think that we're really funny. Do they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <gasps> Now that's a compliment because I, I know that there's other podcasts in this space that are really funny and yeah. we might be accidentally funny. Um, well, so. I think we're a lovely mix of funny in this chat and then we get down to the nitty gritty serious stuff. Then we get all grown up. Mm-hmm. So we're talking at um, the end of a, a really busy day. We do these little intro recordings before we share the episode with you on a Monday. We try to leave it as late as possible so that we can be as up to date as possible in what's going on in our weeks. And I know for a fact that seeing as we're talking about fertility matters at work in this series, we can we can talk about this now. I know that we are both getting busier and busier with this conversation about the workplace mm-hmm. to the point that it's it's very, very exciting. And I was on a conversation today, for example, with a, a tiny little company who who have reached out. And I think what's amazing is to see the variation of big and small organizations because it doesn't matter what size company you work for or you run this is an important issue and the lady that we were talking to was so keen to support the person that she was talking to us about and I just I said to her it's amazing that you're doing this and and on Brew It Too that you and I were talking about today there was a lady there who works for a big organization and she's going through treatment and she has taken it upon herself to set up this like intranet resource and her company are pretty much saying you know run with it and she's kind of come to us asking for more support and however it looks like it's happening and it feels like to me what this conversation felt like when you and I started so we started talking and we 
we've both been on this journey of seeing other things happen. Other people yeah. start talking in different ways, be it on Twitter, then on Facebook and then on Instagram. And it feels that same bubble of excitement with yeah, the workplace. I, I, yeah, I'm now referring to it as a hot potato. Yeah. Because it is, isn't it? it and I feel like we're just chucking it between us all, trying to, to do something with it. Yeah. And slowly getting there now. Luckily, we're very good at catching. Yeah. Really so we're not good. dropping the hot potato. Mm -hmm. So... This conversation that we're going to be sharing with you today is very much focused on what Fertility Matters at Work is all about, to the extent that it was going to be a conversation between myself, Becky and Claire, who are the three co-founders, Kate, who's our medical advisor, and Helen Burgess, who's our, our legal advisor, to really give you like that core understanding of what it's all about. Sadly... Claire had technical gremlins, which she has been having a few of and couldn't join us. And what I will say, though, in Claire's defence, because Claire's not the keenest on these various ways of sharing her knowledge, despite her being this incredible HR professional mm. with a wealth of knowledge and intense passion about this topic, so much so that she often cries. Not that that's a good mm. thing, but it's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing in that she's so passionate about this. She was part of a think tank this week for Fertility Circle, who is also a partner of Fertility mm -hmm. Matters at Work, talking about this very issue. And she shared on her, on her LinkedIn how much she enjoyed it. So well, even though good. she wasn't able to join us for this chat, she will be on a future chat. And she is part of the conversation with Fertility Matters at Work because she's so brilliant in terms of her HR knowledge and you will hear more from Becky about what we're doing and what Kate's involvement is but in the time now Kate that you've been having this conversation what's been something that surprised you gosh where do I start I think one of the first surprises I got which isn't a very positive surprise was when I spoke to an organisation and they, I think I might have said this, I don't know whether I said this in one of our um, interviews, I think I did, where I spoke to an organisation that was a predominantly male-dominant organisation and the individual that I was speaking to turned around to me and said, how relevant, Kate, do you think the support is given the fact that we are predominantly male? That was a massive shock. You have said that before a couple of times, but I'm going to let you say it again because it's so yeah, important. That was that was a big shock, I think. Well, I say a shock, I, I guess maybe a predictable shock, but still a shock in itself. But as I said, I went on to work with that organisation and they loved it. See, I thought of you in a conversation I was having yesterday. I was talking with Lisa Finnegan, who's the international HR director for LinkedIn, about the work that LinkedIn have done. Because if you don't know, LinkedIn have been amazing. Um, one of the first, I think, organisations that were really actively talking about this and have run surveys. And um, Lisa herself has been through fertility treatment and has been kind of pushing for this understanding and this educational piece. But she talked about how when she... Um, was in a previous uh, position and her her boss at the time was a man from a military background. Um, she was just talking about mm. the, the lack of empathy and understanding that she faced. Because we were talking about the whole, mm. it being dependent on the line manager and how it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be down to the manager that you have as to how this conversation goes as an employee to an employer. But we know that it's really important that the male understanding of this being an issue that is relevant to them whether it's a personal issue and I just saw today I think it was in the times it was a guy talking about he's doing this menopause lesson how men are now men at work are starting to have yeah. menopause lessons to understand more and it's yeah it should be and it's great and viewed in the um, same way 
yeah and as you know in my team I have Kate who we've another Kate who we've um, interviewed on the podcast in the past and she's a nurse and she's a, a menopause expert she did a fantastic for your journey a fantastic menopause webinar for and they're happy for me to talk about it for Cambridge and Peterborough combined authority and the men absolutely loved it. Yeah. They loved hearing about the menopause. And what I'm hearing is that, that men are quite interested in hearing about fertility too, because yeah. clearly they need to. Yeah. So it's a good thing. Why did you think of me when you were talking to LinkedIn? Was it about the military? Connection? It was the more the military. It was more the, okay. it was the military. It was more so the military I, reference. Sorry, I didn't quite make that clear. You look confused. So, yeah. So I just want to point out, I am married to a, an officer in the Air Force and he is very compassionate, despite the <laughs> fact that you just said he's not. He is very compassionate. Hi, Rich. No, I didn't think of it like that. I thought of it because I could imagine you sat alongside me having that chat nodding because of your experience of the military. Mm, yeah. And that's okay. not to stereotype and that's not to assume that everybody <laughs> within the military is not compassionate about this topic in any way. You just popped into my head. Sorry, I didn't explain <laughs> that properly. As I said at the start, it's been a very long day. So, I, so I don't know if I've got any other surprises. What about you? My surprises. Um, I don't know if it's a surprise or a delight that we're ultimately having a lot of conversations with organisations about this and it's being so well received. And I don't know if that's a surprise. It's just it's it's a relief more than a surprise, maybe. It's exciting. It's invigorating because in the work that I do with the Fertility Podcast, which if you've been on this journey for some time, with me and, and now with Kate and if you've left us a review of late because I was looking the other day and you have been doing so thank you so much oh, thank um, you. it um it's re-energized me on my mission and you know you'll know Kate I've I've talked with you about wondering what else I can mm. do with the podcast I'm always trying yeah. to ensure that the podcast is worth you listening to and and worth the time that I put in and the time that Kate puts in and I feel that this link with the workplace and how it can continue is is brilliant it's like I feel like I'm joining in all the dots and I think mm-hmm. in terms of how the podcast can help workplaces understand this issue as a resource there's just huge potential so it all feels very exciting so we're gonna now share this chat about what Fertility Matters at Work is all about and We'll come back and just remind you about what you can then maybe take on an an action once you've had a listen. So here we are with another episode of the Fertility Podcast. And what we wanted to do in this one is really put the focus on the Fertility Matters at Work initiative, which is what this podcast is supporting. So Kate and I are going to be chatting with Becky, who's one of my co-founders. Annoyingly and unfortunately, Claire had tech gremlins, so she's not able to join us. And we're also going to be joined by Helen Burgess, who is a partner at Shoesmiths, an employment law firm who are also supporting the launch of Fertility Matters at Work. So ladies, welcome. Hello. We're talking at the back of Fertility Awareness Week and and as Fertility Matters at Work, we launched and we've had lots of conversations happening. Fertility Network were focusing on the importance of talking about fertility in the workplace on Thursday of the week. So we thought it was a really good opportunity to talk more about what we're all trying to do. Kate's already doing work in the corporate space, as you've heard her talking about. But in terms of Fertility Matters at Work, Becky, spotlight is on you. Tell us what it's all about and who it's for. Okay, so... 
it's almost like where do I start well basically what we what we launched last week and this is after a long period of time talking about this coming up with ideas and then COVID happened but we're finally in a position to launch something that we hope will help organizations to become what we call fertility friendly um, so we've launched a training and policy program which is designed to support employers in not just understanding a little bit more about what fertility issues are, but also how they can then have those conversations and support individuals going through it. So we were very, very lucky to receive a grant from Ferring Pharmaceuticals, a restrictive grant which allowed us to create an e-learning package, which I know I will say this because I was part of the team that created it, but it it's such a brilliant overview and a way to bring to life just what it feels like to go through fertility struggles. So we have spoken to a number of different people, all with different journeys. So we've covered off the solo motherhood journey, same-sex couples, um, difficulties that can be faced through different barriers along the way. And what we've tried to do is, through personal stories, bring to life really what what that means for someone when they are having to go through fertility issues but then put that in the context of the workplace and show how something that can be so all-consuming both physically and mentally will no doubt have an impact at work and to really put to employers why they should be considering this as one of their mental health initiatives and something that they focus on in the workplace yeah it's for all employers whatever size of employer you are for you to be able to best support your employees through this as we know is such a challenging experience and we've had such a fascinating experience sharing what we've been doing and looking at the kind of comments that that we've had back it's it's really exciting for us and I want to bring in Helen at this point because Helen I want you to just explain a bit about how the conversation started with Becky I know you guys already know each other from 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 work the way that we've decided to move forward working together is brilliant that we've got this shared focus tell us a bit more about shoesmiths and why they were keen to talk about this topic of course yeah i mean i knew becky it was actually through nct so we met at the time we were both pregnant with our our first and it was then i'd came back from maternity leave after having second becky um had three by then and just was looking at what Shoesmith did and what Shoesmith offered. And when I went through, I knew there wasn't a policy. So when I came back, I did a bit of digging, spoke to a few people. So many people came out of the woodwork as having had fertility um, treatment and gone through it at work and speaking to other people outside of Shoesmiths. It was some people had had really bad experiences. And I just thought, well, people are doing it and dealing with it themselves. Shoesmiths, firstly, is my employer should be on the front foot and saying, hey, we recognise this, this is an issue, we're there, we want to support you. So I started off internally, helped with a policy, put together some support pages on our intranet. And then following that, I then, I wrote an article and started talking about it more personally. And Becky, thank you for that. You were the one who encouraged me to do that because I saw, you know, you had a fantastic blog and were talking about your own fertility struggles and issues. And I thought, I want to help and want to, you know, help other people who are going through it in a work context. And yes, I'm an employment lawyer. I also want to shine the light on employers and say, do you know this is happening and this is how you can support your employees? Because a few clients have since come to me, since I've spoken about and said they hadn't realised because it's one of those areas if you don't you don't know what you don't know if you haven't been through it or you haven't experienced it in some form you don't know what type of things you need to do and what you need to put in place 
So it was all off the back of that that we then came together and I, I looked at your e-learning package and added the, the legal input into that, but you know did very little on it to be fair because it was a, it's a fantastic tool. And that's how then we started working together on that. And the rest, as they say, is history. I've got a question for, for both of you, Helen and Becky. If you just both go back a little bit to your own personal experiences in the workplace, do you want to share a little bit about that? And particularly, I guess, what could have been done better? What went wrong? And, and now with, I guess, the the insight that you have and the hindsight, what do you feel could have been done better? So just to give you a little bit of summary around my own journey. So I was 28 when I was diagnosed with early menopause and told that if we were to have any chance of having a child, we had to go into IVF straight away. So I didn't really even have time to think about it. And at the time I was starting a new job. So I was fortunate in that I was afforded the flexibility to go to appointments and I felt comfortable enough, although it was the most terrifying conversation when I'd not even started the job yet, to kind of disclose that I was facing this challenge and that I was going to need fertility treatment, which at the end of the day is medical treatment as well, which I think is sometimes forgotten. I was given flexibility, but the area where I really struggled was the emotional side of things. And I think sort of however many years ago it was now, sort of seven years ago when I was going through this, there weren't as many conversations out there about what was going on. Um, I felt very alone. And I, I remember really beating myself up about the fact that I was struggling to cope with this at work and thinking come on Becky what is wrong with you why can't you just do this and do that at the same time and I think the only way to describe it was I just found it emotionally exhausting having to go into work every day especially straight after I had the miscarriage and receiving bad news and all I could think about was my next appointment and then having to meet a client group and plaster on a smile on my face and be completely in the room for those conversations it was it was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do and um, what I didn't know at the time was that is actually quite a normal experience for most people and it was only after I went through of my journey and um, after five rounds of IVF and then we went down the egg donation route and I was finally pregnant with my first Mila I went back to work and then having been quite open with people about it I suddenly found that people were starting to to direct other people through to me to go for a little coffee or a chat because they were going through the same thing and that's why now I mean I part of what we we talk about in terms of being fertility friendly is to have these internal peer-to-peer support networks and everything that we talk about is all stemming from our own experience and and how things could be made better so it's not just about a policy it's not just about giving someone flexibility it's a whole piece it's looking after that person as they are it's all about bringing your whole self to work isn't it and having that support and being able to be who you are and and go through what you're going through. I totally agree with what you're saying there, Becky, especially when you're talking about the peer support with some of the organisations that I work with, the ones that seem to be the most successful in opening up these conversations are the ones that have that peer support in place, which is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And also the people that we spoke to so far for this podcast series have all said every time or any time this conversation has been shared, Channel 4 is a brilliant example of it, the number of people that come forward. And Becky, I know you've talked when we've talked about 
your your experience and, and Claire's experience that with a good 35 years HR experience, you'd never had anybody come to you saying that they had this issue. And I was just having a conversation with somebody in a in a rail company who said exactly the same, that it wasn't until she experienced pregnancy loss and then decided to be proactive and talk about it, that people at work were coming forward and saying that they had too. And so many people that seem to just be holding back. I think what Helen said earlier about we only know what we know. And I definitely, as a HR professional, I never had anybody talk about it, whether it be a manager come to me to say, I've got an employee who's going through this, what can I do? Or whether it was someone coming directly, nobody just spoke about it. And had somebody come to me, I would have had no idea before I went through it myself, the impact it would, I think I would have approached it in the sense of okay you need some time off for some appointments how do we manage that and how do we manage the hours when actually it's so much more than that um and that's why I think the education piece that we're we're offering here so it's it's not just telling people how to put a policy in place it's it's about how to support people around that policy the policy is just guidance but it's that education about what does this actually mean so that people can approach these situations with empathy yeah. And so what about you then, Helen? What was your experience and what do you feel now with hindsight could have been done better? I sort of similar to Becky. I mean, I was in a senior position anyway. And that's partly I kick myself sometimes. Uh, my ambition was to get to a certain level. So to get to partner and then, right, we'll, we'll start a family. So, you know, you think it all happens tickety boo and it didn't. So I was one of those who, yeah, very career orientated, got to a senior position. So had the flexibility to juggle and rearrange appointments and things. Um, It was, you know, over a three and a half year period. So it wasn't, you know, it's not a nice process to go through. Um, And I did have a supportive colleague who had been through it and he'd been very open when he went through it. And I knew I could talk to him. And that was a great source of support. He wasn't my direct line manager, but, you know, it was someone who I could talk to. And the first time I did, I also spoke to my team. So quite a, a small team. I talked to them and let them know. And they were great. But the flip side of that was they knew what was happening, when it was happening and when the worst happened. And it was I wasn't we weren't successful on the first attempt. I had to cross that barrier. That, bridge or that barrier how do you then tell them and it was like you've already relived it you've done the test it's been negative you've then got to go into work on the for me it was the Monday morning and then go through it all again and relive it and it was that emotional bit that was the killer and I didn't want to be openly emotional where I just wanted to get in and do the job and I decided it was ridiculous I cycled in I'd live 15 miles from the office although we'll have to cycle in they'll know and sure enough they did they got the message and one person came up to me and said, I, ju- I know it hasn't worked. I'm really sorry. And give me a huge hug. And it was absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. But that broke my heart. Mm-hmm. So I went in the toilet and just cried and cried and cried. And I thought, right, come on, get it together. Because as Becky said, it's the, the, the physical bit's one thing, but it's the emotional and the mental stress that it puts under. Because every day you wake up and then there's a split second where you don't think about it. And then it, there it is. And it lives with you all the time whatever situation you're in and you most of the time you're at work so it's there with you at work so I second time I didn't tell people because I didn't want to have to relive it again and fortunately you know fortunately we were successful on that second and it was a frozen cycle you know people were surprised they're like well we didn't realize we you did you were attending appointments really we didn't understand that you were doing that and I'd sort of merged it with my work 
But that then had problems because I had a particularly horrible procedure, the scratch. Uh, I passed out during it and it came all clammy and whatever. But I had a client lunch I was going to afterwards. So, you know, got myself together, managed to scrape my makeup off the floor and could reapply it to my face. But must have gone to this client lunch looking absolutely green around the gills. And looking back, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I could, didn't just say to a colleague, listen, I, I can't have, yeah, I had an appointment and I just, I just can't do it. I'm sick or whatever. But I felt I had to put on a show that everything was okay. That was the really hard bit. It's taken me back to a conversation that I had. I did a panel chat for AXA Insurance at their diversity and inclusion event. And there was a, a lady, Helen, talking about a similar thing. She'd actually just had a transfer and then she was on a flight to Turkey and was running through the airport because she got held up and was almost missing it and feeling, you know, like she just couldn't let everybody down and was in bits. And you just think how many people, and, and you're talking about being in a senior position, as was this lady. So there's a level of confidence about where you're at dealing mm. with this. And when we think about this for people in less senior positions, and I'm so grateful for you for sharing that because I think it's massively relatable for people. And we just think we do carry on regardless. We just put a brave face on. When I think of the stupid things I was having to do on a breakfast radio show to be happy when, you know, I'd maybe been up all night not feeling good and and what have you. You just think, why? But hopefully we're doing something about it now. So we've talked about some of the issues that we've experienced personally. Um, And Becky, from what we've been sharing and what we've heard back, what are some of the issues people are saying that they're having to deal with when it comes to talking to work? Because every time we ask there's there's all different scenarios i mean the most recent one that we've just shared on the fertility podcast which was about teachers was that they were going to ask for support and they were being told that fertility treatment was in the same bracket as cosmetic surgery which we know we've we've heard before what else have you heard so i think one of the the big things is the issue in people feeling comfortable enough to disclose just even the fact that they are going through it and that's well for a number of different reasons one is that the fact that it is such a personal process and it's I remember when I was talking about it I thought not everybody has to talk about the fact that they're trying for a baby and it felt so unfair having to do that but I knew that if I didn't say anything they wouldn't be able to support me if they didn't know um and the disclosure is I mean people are worried about whether things are going to be kept confidential. Um, They're worried about whether disclosing that they're actively trying to have a baby, which inevitably means maternity leave and other absence, that they may be suggesting that they're not as committed to their job or that they aren't interested in that next promotion or that next big project and they worry about the impact to their careers. And these things are compounded by the fact that they're there quite often isn't a specific policy that talks about this or like you said before it's in lumped in a line with cosmetic surgery and as though it's a lifestyle choice and so you read that and then you want to talk to your manager that's not going to give you the confidence that it's going to be met with empathy and the support that you need or that it's hidden in the maternity policy I've seen that a few times as well where you have to go and search through the maternity policy to find out what you're entitled to when you're struggling to have a baby there's also the need for flexibility as well that's another issue that people sometimes don't know how to speak out about and they're worried that they're going to be seen as though they're not 
as committed and they're worried how they're going to be seen by the rest of the team. That was one of the big things I struggled with is even though I was open, I almost felt that I had to keep telling people to justify and explain why I was walking in at half past nine in the morning rather than half past eight because I'd been to an appointment. There's just so much around it. And then I suppose the other thing is that people have to deal with when they're going through fertility treatment at work are the constant triggers as well, which are unavoidable at times. But the the baby showers, the maternity collection, there's somebody who's on maternity leave bringing their baby in. And it's just having that level of awareness that we can maybe try and support these people who are going through this with like whether they've got a buddy or a colleague that can kind kind of try and anticipate some of these things happening. But that it's not just about needing time off for appointments. This treatment, it isn't just a few scans and a few injections. It's almost like a whole lifestyle change and mindset change that you've got to try and fit in with your daily life. And like Helen said, you're at work most of the time. So I would just say that if anybody's listening and you're having those issues or you're worried about speaking to work, you're not alone. It's very, very common that people are feeling like this. And we had that lovely conversation with um, Sophie on the Fertility Show chat during Fertility Week where she described that somebody was coming in with a baby and a friend basically swooped in and took her off for a coffee. And I love that idea of having... You need those people around you who will swoop in and remove you from the office. And I I think I I completely agree with what you've both just said there. It really actually, when you said, Becky, about it's not just a policy, but it's it's so much more than that. It's so much more of a change. And it's a cultural change, isn't it? It's that the policy is fine. The policy is your black and white. That's what we should be doing. But it's so much deeper than that. And it's how you go about changing culture, which I think is the more difficult thing. Helen, kind of similar note to that. What do you think organisations need to start considering from a legal perspective? especially given the fact that we're seeing a lot more organisations now have their fertility policies in place and announce that they're they're doing all of this. It's one of those areas where, unfortunately, there's not a lot of protection out there for employees who are going through this. So there's no, for example, legal right to take time off work to attend appointments. When you're pregnant, you there's the antenatal appointments and there's a the time off for that, but not at the point before that when you're trying to get pregnant. A lot of employers are flexible and reasonable in that, in that they have medical appointment time off generally, so they allow that and they already extend it to cover these appointments. But again, they're not legally required to. There's not any penalty for them not doing that. Although arguably, if you're a woman and you're going through fertility treatment, it could potentially amount to indirect sex discrimination if you are refused time off because it predominantly, whilst it's a 50-50 male-female issue fertility treatment, the majority of the invasive or the requirement to attend appointments falls on the woman. So there is the potential there for a claim. But this is the worst time. You don't want to be bringing claims or raising grievances or going down that route. So it's all going to be a balancing exercise as you're going through it. But other things employers probably do need to think about. You're encouraging employees to share and for you to be aware of it so that you can give them the time off, accommodate them. Know if someone's not on their A game and just think, well, actually, there's this in this meeting, they were quiet, I understand why. It's just having that knowledge and being able to support, even in the background, not overtly, just to know. But then some employees might think, well, oh, crumbs, if I know, am I then 
under further obligations because if you know someone is going through it and you know someone is is pregnant you're probably going to find out earlier than you would normally when someone was going through uh, well trying to get pregnant and then falling pregnant naturally through a natural cycle because normally people wait 12 weeks whereas fertility treatment you'll find out much much sooner you know within you probably know in the five, that five to six week window when you take that pregnancy test at the end of the two week wait period and employers arguably could know sooner that you are pregnant and therefore pregnancy discrimination protection kicks in. That would start at the point that the embryos are transferred into the the uterus of the employee, the female employee going through the treatment. So there is a protection there that she can't be treated detrimentally or suffer any unfair treatment. And I suppose question mark as well in terms of sex discrimination, there's, there's been a few cases on it, not many, but a few, which have said at the point someone has uh, had their eggs collected that is a very female specific procedure that person is protected from sex discrimination up to the point the embryos are retransferred back into the uterus and then pregnancy discrimination kicks in so there are a couple of protections but it's all dependent on the employer knowing and that that whole balancing exercise do you tell do you not tell and what knowledge is out there if i could have a magic wand i would completely get rid of this secrecy up to the 12 week point I think we should all be talking about and getting rid of the taboos surrounding early pregnancy and particularly miscarriage and pregnancy loss a lot earlier but I don't know we'll ever do that on the kind of note of legal protection and the fact that we know that right now there isn't any laws to protect or to support women going through fertility treatments do you think that 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 might change in the future given the momentum that we've currently got I don't know. There's been talk about menopause as well and whether menopause should be covered as a disability because the World Health Organization state that infertility is a disease of the reproductive system which results in disability. So that's their statement. But our Equality Act, which is what we look at for employment law purposes and whether someone is disabled from an employment law perspective, on the face of it, the definition wouldn't cover infertility per se. It could cover some of the effects of infertility if, they, if they're extremely substantial and they're lasting 12 months or more. They could cover some of the conditions that have led to infertility. Endometriosis is the one that jumps out if that's, again, uh, so severe and the, the effects are so severe on someone's day-to-day life. But we're a bit far off on, in, on that side of it being actually a disability that is defined and protected. And I think there is movement and whether it's, you know, menopause, infertility, there is some sway of movement, but the talks I've attended and the thing, things that I've read are swaying away from that. It's a, well, there are enough protections there. There's pregnancy, there's sex, there's a few cases on it. There's enough to protect people there. So I don't think it's something in the medium term, maybe in the long grass, but certainly not something that I'm seeing put on to the top of the agenda, although it's being talked about more. It's so interesting hearing the complexities around this. And I'm aware that we've talked about women just then. And I just want to capture, Helen, about individuals who are potentially on a path to parenthood, whether organisations could open themselves up to any form of discrimination if they don't support them through these periods, which are more complicated potentially for employers to understand, which is why we've been trying to highlight the, the many ways people have to look at their route to parenthood and the things that they have to go through. Because we know that if you are in a same-sex relationship, um, you know, then fertility treatment is your only route. Right. I think discrimination in those circumstances is going to be quite difficult to run because so yes you're going to have male female the partner is going to be you know of, of either sex 
but it's what's the comparator so in a lot of these cases you need someone to compare yourself to and if the partner could be male or female and an employer treats that person exactly the same there's then no person that is treated more or less favorably everyone's just treated equally sometimes equally badly but equally nonetheless so I think it's going to be difficult in that situation to succeed in any discrimination element the successful discrimination is probably going to be on the um, the female side because it's more female specific as a in terms of male specific or any men trying to get protection okay thanks for explaining that so Helen what should employers be considering when looking into offer more support for people dealing with infertility and fertility treatments so I think the first starting point and as, as Becky's mentioned policy Policy is a great starting point. And as an employment lawyer, I will say, but it doesn't stop there because a policy isn't a panacea for all ills. It's awareness raising. It's making sure people know if they look on their internet and they're searching that there's something there that the employer recognises it, knows that they need to support and is offering some support in whatever form, whether it's time off, flexibility, as you know, has been mentioned, someone to talk to, some peer support. Because when we as Shootsmith did our policy, I was very keen to have a line at the end saying, you know, if you want to talk, contact HR and they will put you in touch with someone. Because whilst we don't have anything formal, I just felt that having that ear was so important or would have been so important for me to have somebody to talk to who was going through it or had gone through it. And just after, um, well, last week we republished our pages and someone called me and just said, just really appreciate that. I've just come back from having time off, unsuccessful cycle, and to see that there's a policy there and to see your stories, because we've done sort of web stories of, of what's happened in a little video. And she said, just so reassuring. And that's what I wanted to do. And I was a bit upset afterwards thinking, oh, it's made it, it's made a difference. So that's a really good thing. The policy the, the peer support networks, even if it's informal, some kind of ear, someone to listen to. And a manager, I think, needs to know, as Becky said, what to say and what not to say. So it's not a case of giving their crib sheet, but it's just raising their awareness levels to know what to expect of this person, what this person may need and what they may be feeling and what they may be then translating into work, just to give that awareness and whether that's breathing space support whatever that may be to help that person and to be on their side if you like so I think they're probably the main things and talking about it raising that awareness generally will help people to feel more secure in their workplaces and feel that they're not doing this alone and struggling through it when other people have done it and there is precedent for it which is very reassuring in a not nice way because other people have gone through it but at least you know that you're not treading new ground and we know we could talk about this for so much longer but Becky just finally if people are struggling to have these conversations because we're talking about the people that are reaching out and that have actually you know found support to some extent what would your advice be yeah, so we, uh, we've we actually got a free downloadable PDF, which is available on fertilitymattersatwork.com because we know this is such a big thing that people struggle with. And we've just put together some tips and, and useful advice as to how you can do that. And just to summarise it, really, I would say that firstly, it's going to be quite an emotional conversation. It's going to be a difficult one for you. Make some notes, just pop things down, a few bullet points of things that you want to cover, questions that you might have so that if you're getting emotional in that moment, you're not thrown too far off that conversation um, and you're not kicking yourself, asking yourself, oh, I should have said that. Um, make sure the conversation is in 
a private space. Um, so don't be afraid to say, look, I've got something quite personal and confidential I want to discuss with you. Um, and also don't be afraid to highlight that you, if you want it to be kept confidential, say that to them, because although it should be kept confidential anyway, I think just making sure that they are aware of that um, will probably put your mind at rest as well. Um, we always say be prepared to educate. So we've said a few times during this podcast, they don't know what they don't know. Um, I never knew before I went through IVF how much was involved. So don't be afraid to take some information with you, whether it, it may be you've already got your protocol and you've got an idea of the kind of start and end times and the fact that um, scans will be potentially every two to three days. You can't fully predict egg collection, for example, but you can give a rough time scale. And then the other good thing to do is to try and agree a communication plan between yourself and your manager so that you're not constantly feeling like you've got to update them every time you have a conversation but maybe say something along the lines of um, twice a week you will update them just to let them know when you're next be needing time off um, but whatever suits you in terms of being able to feel like you've not got the worry of having to talk about it on your shoulders but also not feeling like you're having to talk about it all the time. And finally, have a think about what you need and go to them with some solutions in the first place. Don't expect them to fix it for you. So it may be that work is a great distraction for you. Some people find that actually being in work helps them take their mind off treatment. So it might be that you need that flexibility and you can work it into your working day. Or it may be that you are struggling with the day to day. Like I said earlier, they're kind of plastering the face on and it might be around certain appointments you you might need that flexibility to work from home if that's a possibility. So maybe just have a think about what what would be your ideal and go in with that. And um, that means that hopefully you can start that conversation at a point where you're saying, look, I'm bringing this issue to you. This is how I think we can work together to make this work through this temporary period. Um, but yeah, also don't be afraid to point them in the direction of fertility matters at work, because that's kind of another reason why we're doing what we're doing to have somewhere to signpost people to in the workplace so that they can learn more um, and understand more about this process. Exactly. And we're all doing these kind of regular um, panel chats. So by the time you hear this podcast, we will have done our first one. Helen's there talking about the employment side and Kate's talking about the, the medical side of treatment. So do keep tabs on what we're sharing with you to make sure that you feel supported. Everybody here in what we've been talking about today and what we've seen over the last few weeks about this topic, do we feel positive that companies are taking note and that the change is happening about this needing to be taken seriously in the workplace? I think that we're definitely starting to see some change. I don't think it's enough, but it's a definitely a good start. I you agree. Think? <laughs> good. I'm pleased you agree with me. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say a lot of employers are now starting to talk about it openly in terms of what they do, in terms of support, what they provide. And I've you know, seen a couple just this week and that National Fertility Awareness Week, of course, um, using that platform. But then speaking to others, they say, well, yeah, we do that. We don't shout about it. Mm -hmm. We probably do need to talk a bit more about it so our employees know that it's there. But we do it, and but we're very informal. But I think it's, yeah, there's definitely a sea of change and people are starting to talk about it more. And that can only be the better and employers will then sit up, take notice and, and put something in place and make sure employees know that it's there. I feel the potential feels huge. I 
think we've just seen the huge menopause awareness campaigns and and there's been lots and lots of noise around that particularly in the workplace and I feel that fertility is that next big thing on the agenda and that it's something that will change I still think I agree with Kate there's a long long way to go but I really feel that employers are starting to take note now so I'm feeling excited about the positive change we can make to people who are having to go through this in the future. Exactly. And when we think of what was going on seven years ago when I started the podcast, when Kate started, when you were probably looking for information, Becky and and Helen, Mm. to what we have available now, it can only continue to get better. So ladies, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and thank you. I don't want to sound sycophantic, but delighted to be included. And I, yeah, Louis, I listen to your podcast now, even after, and you know, I've got two, I'm not having any more. I still listen to it and yeah I just wish it was around when when I've been going through it so thanks we love we love a bit of fame so be as sycophantic <laughs> as you like <laughs> so to find out more about what fertility matters at work can do for you and your organization just go to fertilitymattersatwork.com you can follow us on our instagram we've got lots more to share with you next month and you can find out how you can get access to kate more directly to helen more directly because that whole legal piece is so interesting and we held a webinar which you may well have listened to um the other friday the 12th of november and we've got another webinar coming up next month again which we'll be sharing on our socials there was lots of questions about employment law and the lack of legislation that there is around this topic, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, because there, there is very little. Yeah. That's the problem. It's not until you're, you've had the embryo transfer that you are then technically covered through, your, through the legalities uh, because you are then technically pregnant. Um, it, up until that point, there's nothing. But it was so interesting hearing Helen saying that whilst at the moment there isn't, isn't any support or any legislation to support women and men at that point there might be in the future yeah that's what's encouraging I think we're on the sea of change Mm, who sang who sang listen to winds of change who sang that that song from the 80s. From the 80s. The winds of change. Nope. Right, I have to no, find it. But I should know that. It's my ear. See if I can find a clip. So what we'd like to do is invite you, as always, to leave your thoughts about what your experience of fertility treatment at work was like. And we've been sharing some of the snippets that you've been leaving for us by going to the fertilitypodcast.com website. On the homepage, if you scroll down, there's a little button that clicks and says, leave us a message. And I love that some of you are like, oh, it's taken me a few attempts. I'm editing that bit out in case you're listening back going, oh, she didn't hear my struggle. It's funny and I'm enjoying it myself. You're like, third time and I've done it. Because basically, you click leave a message on the Fertility Podcast website, and then you, like you'll see a little audio wave. But the beauty is, is that you can. It's like when you're leaving someone an answer phone message. I don't know if you ever used to do that, or when you rec- did you ever when you recorded an answer phone message. Uh, you can tell I'm tired. I'm right going off on a tangent. Aren't I? <laughs> when you used to record answer phone messages, and you used to kind of do it over and over again, so it sounded right. I don't think any of us do it anymore. We just like leave yeah. us a message. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't even bother. I don't think I've even got my voice on my. Oh, you've got. Phone. Oh, I hate people that don't do that. I never oh, leave sorry. you a message. That's okay. I never leave you a message. I don't even... Who phones people anymore? Nobody. Nobody. (laughs) Well, occasionally we do, but we'll phone each other through WhatsApp, won't we? Oh, right. Everybody start phoning each other and check each other's voice messages and let me know. Mm. But meanwhile, 
you can practice on your friend's voice messages and then come to the fertility podcast and leave a little message. Before I share this experience with you, I want to just let you know that it is talking about pregnancy loss. So if that's something that could be not what you want to hear right now, then just a little warning, you might want to stop listening now because all we do at the end is, is tell you our socials and I'm hoping that you know them by now. If you are carrying on listening, I just want to say to this person, thank you so much for sharing. And um, it's always good to hear all your different experiences. So we all get a really good idea of what we are all dealing with. Hello, I just wanted to um, send you a message to say uh, what I think you're doing is amazing. I think it will help to open up the conversation around miscarriage and um, allow people to feel like they can talk about what they're going through with their colleagues I've actually um, had five miscarriages and my first one was at work in the middle of a meeting. I knew that I was going to miscarriage after having a scan at the hospital and um, went back to work um, as normal. Um, had to excuse myself mid-meeting um, due to um, the kind of level of discomfort I was in and then had my miscarriage and um went back to my meeting as though nothing has happened um whilst all my miscarriages haven't been at work that was probably um the most memorable um because I look back on it now and I wonder <laughs> why I decided it was a good idea to go back into the meeting but I think it's because um I think it's because it's is just not a subject that was really talked about then. Uh, I had my most recent miscarriage um, actually only around a month ago. Um, and whilst I was still working, it happened over a bank holiday Monday. Um, and so I carried on with work as though nothing had happened and obviously told no one. So, yeah, I, I feel like... Part of the reason I didn't disclose it to any of my colleagues at work is because I guess there's a bit of a stigma around the fact that when people know you're trying to conceive, um, you're going to uh, take time off work. And I was actually um, during my probation period at that point. So it would have been a difficult conversation for me to have. Anyway, I thought I'd share my story. I'm not going to say my name because... Obviously, I'm still working <laughs> at that company and I don't know why, but I just feel like I'd rather that you don't know. Finally, before we let you go, you can follow at Fertility Matters at Work to get in touch with what we're doing. You can follow the Fertility Podcast at Fertility Poddy. And you can follow me at Your Fertility Nurse. Thank you, as always, for your support. And until the next time, 